Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. It is Wednesday, February 9th, and this is People Every Day. Hey, everyone. You are halfway to Friday, and it's me, your host, Janine Rubenstein. Shout out to my big brother. Happy birthday, Trev. It's a great day for him and for all of us. We've got some great stories to share with you today, so let's just dive right in. Adele showed up to Tuesday's Brit Awards looking stunning. As always, she took home Song of the Year for her smash hit, Easy On Me. But let's be honest, what has everyone buzzing is her jewelry of choice for the night. Adele appeared to be rocking a ginormous rock on a certain finger on her left hand. Who might have put it there? Well, she and her super sports agent boyfriend, Rich Paul, have been IG official since September. And since the singer hasn't publicly confirmed anything, the rumors and wishful thinking on my part will continue to swirl. In a People exclusive, we learned that famed, some say infamous, talk show host Wendy Williams will not return for the remainder of the Wendy Williams show's 13th season. The star has been out for a while due to an illness, and a source told People, quote, her healing is going slower than everyone had hoped. She continues to deal with a number of medical issues, including Graves' disease, and she and her team are taking it one day at a time. But reports of a stroke, drugs, addiction issues, or a dementia diagnosis are all false. That's what the source says. Also, Sherry Shepard will take over as permanent guest host. Shepard's hosted numerous times and is thrilled to be invited back. That said, we hear Wendy and her team are hopeful she will be back in the fall. Everyone, we are in the midst of Black History Month, and I am so excited that we are celebrating it in a big way in the pages of People this week, putting a spotlight on Black excellence and history-making Black families. Shameless plug, I myself got to put on my editor-at-large hat and sit down with cover star of this special issue, living legend Mr. Lionel Richie. The American Idol judge was just nominated for induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you guys, and he has such a rich story to tell of his journey from Tuskegee, Alabama to Hollywood and how he survived everything from critiques about his blackness to adopting daughter Nicole, his headline-making divorce, and a mysterious throat ailment. We went there. And thus, I am going to flip the script today and have executive editor Jeremy Helliger, who helmed our full Black History Month coverage this year, on with me now to ask me the tough questions and take us through a few other powerful moments in this issue. Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Janine. Hi. Hi. Well, Excited to talk Lionel with you. And of course, we wouldn't go through a Lionel Richie segment without giving the people a bit of music. So guys, listen for that. But Jeremy, let's get into it. What you got for me? So Lionel Richie is a star that people love for being a musical genius. But many don't know much about his life before he became famous. 
everything from his childhood into adolescence and adulthood is nothing short of inspiring, especially during Black History Month. Mm -hmm. When you sat down with him, what moments from his life took you most by surprise? For me, it was just how deep his roots went into Black history. He went to Tuskegee, which is a historically Black college. He was an alpha, and he just had, like, such a journey before that with the Tuskegee Airmen that he grew up amongst. Like, he said they would come over to his house. He knew the the pilot who took up Eleanor Roosevelt in a plane, and he says that was, of course, to prove that Black people could fly. And it's something that I feel like a lot of people don't know when they think about Lionel Richie, that he had that background. He got a lot of criticism from people, even those in his own community, for not being Black enough. I think this is a construct that countless African Americans, including myself, have experienced in their life. But for Lionel, it really affected him. It, that shocked me that he brought that up. It's something I know has floated around in, you know, Black conversations within the Black community. Like, oh, you know, he he's not Black enough. His music's not Black enough. And this is coming from a guy who came from Tuskegee. He was a member of the Commodores, which was a legendary funk band. And he, you know, kind of started that way, but he crossed over. And that was really a moment in his career that he talks about where people started to question him. And he's like, do they know who they're talking to? Like, do you know who my father is and what he instilled in me, my mother, the people in my community instilled in me? But he wanted to make music for everyone. He wanted to make music that stood the test of time. He had this great quote telling me that it wasn't hip at the time, you know, working with Kenny Rogers and maybe ballads for Diana Ross and all of that. It wasn't hip, but it was forever. It's impossible to think about Lionel Richie and not pay respect to the man who was all about relationships. His first marriage to Brenda Alexander lasted for 18 years. Although it ended in divorce, he found another piece of heaven when he adopted Nicole Richie as his own. Yeah. How did Nicole impact his life and what moving things did he have to say about their relationship? He adopted Nicole when she was very young from, I guess, the friends of the family who were struggling financially. And he talked about how she was used to people just coming in and out of her life. And he was like, is anyone going to claim this little girl who is in his orbit and he's seeing her and spending time with her? And she would look to him and he said, I'm not going anywhere. And he and his wife at the time, Brenda, just had the same thought, like, she's ours. This is my baby. And I even brought up the fact that people said at the time she had, you know, reportedly caught him with, you know, another woman and, and all of that. But he says the one thing that we agreed upon was Nicole um, because she was really their baby. And there were rumors that Nicole was actually his baby from an extramarital affair. And he said the truth is she came to us, but that is my baby because that's how he feels about the connection that he has with her. Now, all artists share a really deep connection with their fans. And Lionel spoke to you about an encounter he had with a man in Jamaica who encouraged him to keep pushing forward because he was so inspired by Lionel's story. Why does he hold that memory so close to his heart? 
Oh, I mean, I think it's because it came at such a tough time. Like I said, he had that that split from his first wife. You know, his dad was dying at the time. He had gone back to Tuskegee to spend time with his father and, and care for him. And then in the midst of that, he was having these like crazy throat issues as well, where he had multiple surgeries on his throat. He was struggling with that. It turned out to be acid reflux. But before even getting that diagnosis, he went through multiple surgeries. So everything he says came crashing down on him at once. And this guy in Jamaica, he was on the beach and the man stopped him and basically said, you have to persist. You have to succeed because we're all watching you, essentially. Like, when you succeed, you're bringing the entire community, the entire Black community. And this is, you know, he had reached such a level that he was leaving behind this legacy for so many people. And that man just pointed it out to him and it helped bring him back from what he says was almost a nervous breakdown. Such a great story. And it's so good to see Lionel Richie after all these years still in the public eye, performing on American Idol in Vegas. It's incredible. I mean, he is doing, and he just has this, like, love for life. You can feel it. But, Jeremy, before I lose you, there's other stuff. There's so much more in this issue. So tell me, what are some of your highlights outside of Mr. Lionel? So we have this great feature, a portfolio paying tribute to some of the icons of Black history. But the people paying tribute are people in their family. So we have Dionne mm, Warwick mm-hmm. paying tribute to Whitney and Sissy Houston. We have Sherry Belafonte paying tribute to Harry Belafonte. We have Stephen Morley paying tribute to Bob Morley and Brooklyn Sudano playing tribute to her mom, Donna Summer. So we wow. have all of these great family members telling stories, personal stories. So it's not just about the great things that their parents and their aunts and uncles did, but it's also about those personal, more intimate moments because we see a side of people like Martin Luther King Jr., people like Muhammad Ali, that perhaps we haven't seen before because we get to see them as dads. Yeah, I love that. It's so good. It just makes me think of Lionel again and what he said about his kids and how they have turned him into his parents. So he also has Sophia and and Miles, right? And he talked about just leaving a legacy for them, but the fact that they have already kind of imprinted on him like, oh, I know what you're doing. You're like That lie you're telling right there, I saw that already. Oh, well, Jeremy, thanks for interviewing me and for everything that you've done with this issue. It's so powerful. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You guys, the Super Bowl is this weekend. The time of supersized bowls of snacks are upon us. And you just know this weekend will be an all-out blitz at the grocery store. So you need to get a jump on your game day meal plan. We'll tackle all of our recommendations for that after the break. And then Olympic gold medalist Tara Lipinski takes us behind the scenes and behind the microphone for the Olympics. Stay tuned. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. 
See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. We're back and time to run through what you should be snacking on this Sunday. Here's our rundown of my favorites from People.com's 40 Super Bowl snack recipes. First down, have you tried Mira Soda's Chili Roasted Cashews? They're super easy to make. Cashews, oil, salt, chili powder, boom. 325 in the oven for 10 to 12 minutes and you are ready to go. Second down, Duff Goldman's Mexican five-layer dip has me drooling, you guys. It's got all the staples of a great layered dip, sour cream, cheese, beans, but comes at you with a skirt steak in there too. (laughs) Please and thank you. Third down, snacking's great, but Jeremy Ford's Cuban sandwich has everything you could want in a halftime meal. Multiple meats, garlic, red peppers, tomatoes, on a ciabatta. C-I-A-B-A-T-T-A, ciabatta. (laughs) Okay, okay. Last but not least, fourth down, Elizabeth Chambers' lemon bars. I'll say it again, lemon bars. Eggs, butter, vanilla extract, lemon juice, and some zest, topped off with powdered sugar. If that doesn't get you dancing in the end zone, I don't know what will. Seriously, you guys, you have to check out these recipes. They're all on people.com or check out the link in the show notes. If you're like me, you've been tuning into the Olympics this week and have realized you should probably start working out again. But the Winter Games are underway in Beijing. And also, if you're like me, you really want to know the behind the scenes details of what's going on at those games. And there are some really juicy stories making their way out of that Olympic village. My next guest knows a thing or two about competing and reporting on the Winter Games and knows her way around a triple loop combination. Joining me now is figure skating icon, Olympic gold medalist and commentator, Tara Lipinski. Hey, Tara. Hi there. I have to say, you had one of my all-time favorite Team USA moments back in 1998, twirling your way to becoming the youngest woman to ever win gold at age 15 and in spectacular fashion, might I add. But fast forward to now, you're currently in Stanford, Connecticut, right? Covering the games remotely at the NBC Sports headquarters. Yes, I am. We got the news we weren't going to be going to China just a few weeks ago, so we're covering it all from the headquarters here, and it's been really fun. Nice. And of course, alongside the amazing Johnny Weir, a fellow former Olympian, and you guys, color commentary is everything. <laughs> but I mean, how are you keeping that spark, that that fun? You know, it's different, obviously, not being in an Olympic arena. But at the same time, I think for the last five years now, I could say we've done a lot of remote commentary, either in our homes where I wake up at odd hours to match Johnny or to match the competition in France or Russia, you know, and I'm in my my PJs in one of my guest rooms calling an event. And so it really doesn't feel that different. But, you know, Johnny and I do love to dress up. And when we were coming into this, you know, not going to the arena, we, we said this is the most sparkles and sequins Stanford, Connecticut will ever get. There's been also just a lot of talk and controversy surrounding the games being held in Beijing. And and we're hearing athletes speak out about just some of the conditions there. I mean, inedible food and, and really intense COVID protocols for a reason. But have you heard anything from the athletes that are there? 
every Olympic Games is different. And we went to Tokyo and we were actually on site for the summer games. And we we hosted the closing ceremony without a crowd and, um, you know, in this amazing, incredible arena, but it definitely created a different vibe. So it's tough. Yeah, there's so many things that are, are going to be different. But I think that there's positives coming out of it, especially in the figure skating community. I think you see all of these, you see Team USA just really bonding and, you know, they're in the village together and they just finished their team event. And I think they're really relying on each other, especially now that they don't have the friends and family close by. I want to talk about the pressure and when it comes to, you know, competing and being on that level. I mean, we've seen Michaela Schifrin, who is an incredible alpine skier. You know, she's been having a bit of a tough time our hearts just break for her. But can you speak to the pressure that athletes face now and how you even dealt with it? It does. And you give up your whole life for this moment. And I think that's what makes an Olympic Games, you know, so exciting for fans to watch at home because you look at someone like Michaela, who you're working at your sport and you're thinking, maybe someday I'll go to the Olympics. Maybe someday I'll win the Olympics. And this dream is years and years and years and years in the making. Yeah, You know, you get to this moment and then you have a few minutes that will sort of determine how those games define you and your career in that moment. Living in the moment, it, it's devastating. You've you've put in so much work for, for that moment. It's it's just a lot of pressure, and you never really know how it's going to go. We are seeing some making and breaking some amazing records. I, I was so excited to see Nathan Chin get the highest score ever in the men's short program in figure skating. I was cheering out loud from home. But what has been your favorite moment so far, and what should audiences be looking out for as the games continue? I would say that that probably has been my my favorite moment so far. And, you know, knowing Nathan's story so well four years ago in Pyeongchang, he came so close to that Olympic gold medal and had a disastrous short program that really took him out of the running. So, you know, to see him come back four years later and you can tell this is the only thing that has been on his mind because he's been the most dominant mm-hmm. U.S men's skater of almost all time. You know, he's won every single event he's entered except one in the last four years. And so clearly he has every title, every color medal twice over. But the one thing he didn't have was an Olympic gold medal. So watching that live was, I just had goosebumps. Does it make you miss the ice a little bit? It does, especially when it goes well. (laughs) Yeah. Well, before I let you go, I've got to ask you about a fun project you are working on with your husband, Todd. You guys have a docuseries out called Meddling, and it's on the judging scandal at the 2002 Salt Lake City Olympics. Let's take a quick listen to some of it. Two teams gave their all. One performance took it to a new level. It was a great Olympic story. You just threw it in the dumpster. I love that. (laughs) So tell me more about this. My husband is a sports doc director and, you know, over the pandemic and for years, we actually said it would be really fun if we could find a way to work together, kind of combine our talents. And that's what we did. We we pitched this because it's going to be the 20th anniversary uh, this month. There really hasn't been a doc on this since 2002 that that did a, a really extensive deep dive into what happened. And we traveled to Russia and France and um, Canada all through a pandemic. So there was a lot of quarantining. 
for me, the most exciting part is that we got every single person involved to be part of the story. And, you know, even the French judge who had not spoke to American media in 20 years. So to be able to spend a week with her in France and and really get a perspective on her life now and to hear, you know, how that Olympic Games impacted her 20 years ago and, and still does to this moment. And 20 years is a, is, is a long time. And you think, oh, maybe everyone's just like, ah, it didn't matter. But, you know, it, it does matter. And I think it still affects a lot of people. Oh, my gosh. You have scandal. You have sports. It's all there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited for it. Thank you, Tara, for joining us. Meddling is streaming now on Peacock. And you can catch all of Tara's commentary on the Olympics on NBC. Bye, Tara. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, I have one more thing to leave you with. In the spirit of Black History Month, we'd like to highlight just a couple Black-owned businesses for you guys to check out and support this month and all year long. First up, there's a fashion favorite of mine, Nobody Jones Boutique. Odessa Bowden's shop is based out of L.A., but also available to shop online. And I have been finding the cutest looks there for years, long before she was highlighted on Issa Rae's Insecure. And then there's a food brand you've probably seen in your local grocery store already. Partake Foods, founded by Denise Woodard, is known for championing food inclusivity, fighting food insecurity, and creating job opportunities for underrepresented people in the food industry. All their food is certified gluten-free, non-GMO, vegan, and allergy-friendly. So go support these and other Black-owned brands this Black History Month. You guys, thank you for listening to us again today. We'll be back with you tomorrow with more people every day.